The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai. Hello, and welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel. I'm the host for this podcast, and this is episode number 186. When a person is addicted to drugs and or alcohol, the myriad of choices of treatments can be overwhelming. Narconon Ojai is a residential treatment facility that addresses the physical, mental, and spiritual aspects of addiction with a proven, evidence-based, drug-free, step-by-step program designed to free those trapped by addiction. For more information, call 1-866-231-5924. Today, we're having an interview with someone that we interviewed earlier this year, Darren Prince. Darren Prince is a prominent sports and celebrity agent and global advocate for addiction and recovery. Through his agency, Prince Marketing Group, he represents icons such as Magic Johnson, Hulk Hogan, Charlie Sheen, Dennis Rodman, Chevy Chase, and the late Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali, to name a few. As a leading authority in this space, his insights have been featured in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, USA Today, CNN, and Dr. Oz. From selling his first business at 19 to building a multi-million dollar talent agency, Darren has experienced what life is like in the celebrity world. Unfortunately, he also saw the dark reality of addiction through his own personal struggle. Over 11 years of sobriety, it's now Darren's mission to help others avoid and break free from addiction. Let's talk to Darren Prince. Darren Prince, thank you so much for being willing to be on the podcast again and to share your story again. We know that stories um, such as yours, are they resonate with people. And I always figure if just one person listens to your story and decides to get clean or decides to help their loved one get clean, it's all worth it. That's, that's what it's about, just one. And I'm sure we're going to get to one today. Absolutely. I agree. So... Take me back to the beginning and how you got started on your journey with drugs. Uh, my first experience was at 14 years old at sleepaway camp. And I was always uh, introverted, shy, insecure, unconfident, never uh, felt comfortable in my own skin type of kid. And it, I had a great loving family, sister I'm close with to this day. So there's really just no rhyme or reason for it. And, uh, outside the fact that I was labeled with having severe learning disability, which I think did a number on my self-confidence and my self-esteem. So I had terrible stomach pains one night. I thought it was an anxiety and I asked the counselor to take me to see the nurse and he took me to this infirmary and the nurse gave me some green liquid and a clear cloth syrup cup. And, you know, she goes, this should help you sleep and take the pain away. And I took, and I remember it just tasted lousy, but as I'm walking across the softball field, back to the bunk, I felt like Superman, like all those inadequacies, inferiority complex, uh, self-esteem, you know, went away like that. And I, I just felt like Superman and I got back to the bunk. Now I was the talkative guy, the funny one, the cool one. I had the courage to go flirt with girls for the first time in my life at the bunk next to where we were in and uh, by myself, things I just never did before. And I felt just as good, if not better than everybody in that moment on that night. And I went to bed the next, I woke up the next day 
you know, thinking nothing of it, did all my activities that you do when you're in sleepaway camp. And that very next night I'm lying in the bunk and no stomach pain, but I'm obsessing on that feeling. And I learned how to lie and cheat right then. And I heal over and I look at the couch and go, man, my stomach's killing me. We've got to go back and see this nurse. And, you know, I did that probably for upwards of three weeks, every single night until my mom and dad came up for visitation day and found out that she was giving me small dosages of liquid Demerol. And, um, you know, back then you're talking 1984, uh, you know, who knows how controlled it was or wasn't. But, you know, when I do so many, so I've done so many speeches around the country and during the Q&A, there's so many people, oh, that nurse, I can't believe it. I don't blame the nurse because six months after that, I had my wisdom teeth removed and uh, not knowing what these white pills were, but I was in some pain that my mom gave me. That feeling came right back and those were extra strength Vicodin. And um, after they were gone in two days, because I think mom only got six or eight pills. You know, that second night, I did the exact same thing. I'll go down, I'm holding my cheek, I put the crocodile tears on. I said, Ma, I think I have an infection. We got to go back to the dentist. And that's uh, a loving mother who wants to see their son or their child suffer. So she took me back. And uh, I lied, conned, and cheated uh, the, the, uh, the dentist to give another prescription. I'm just on the phone all night calling my friends and got to stay out of school. And um, that was the beginning of it for me. You know, it's interesting. You said that you, you give your talks and people say, oh, bad nurse. But she was likely told that liquid Demerol is for pain. And yeah. so you're complaining of stomach pain. What's she going to give you? Do you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't see that as, as, you know, like a bad issue on the part of the nurse. I mean, one of the things we know in retrospect, especially as regards OxyContin, is that the pharmaceutical company lied about it and said exactly. it's not addictive. Do you know? Yeah. So yeah. doctors who prescribed it, they were, you know, they were believing the pharmaceutical company. Now, yeah. Darren, when you say you had um, learning disorders, and yeah, I, I got to tell you, I hate that kids get labeled. I just, I, know. I hate the labeling of kids. Know. And, you yeah. know, I've seen this um, anti-labeling thing on like childhood is not a disease. And I always go, yeah, exactly. So were, were you ever prescribed drugs with your learning disability? In my early 20s, I was given Adderall uh, for ADD. Um, but I was always put in small classrooms, special ed. And I think uh, that kind of made me feel less than, you know, um, who knows if things would have been different. Um, I don't think they would have been. I don't want them to be different because I've never been a better place in my life and everything worked out perfectly and flawlessly the way my God wanted to do so. Um, but, you know, I've, you hear all the time, you know, it's hereditary, this and that. And, you know, I'm such not a controversial person, but Jay Shetty's a good friend of mine. He put up a post about something like that. I side with him that, you know, Dr. Drew is a good friend. And I don't, I don't believe it. Do I think the likelihood if you grow up in a household with drugs and alcohol? Yeah, of course. I mean, you're probably 10, 20 times more likely to maybe gravitate it. But how come I have four or five serious good friends that I've known for, I just turned 50 for 35, 40 years that grew up in that exact same environment that just don't drink and have never tried a drug in their life. You know, I think it's a personality disorder. It's something within us, some who have the courage to speak up about feeling different, they'll go down that road. And then people like me that kept it inside, 
and acted as if for so long because I just love the feeling, you know? Yeah. And I agree. And I think one of the, you know, the liabilities of, of labeling children is that the, if there's already something going on, if a child is having difficulty in school, and so then you slap a label on them and you call it something weird like ADHD or ADD or whatever you call it, and then they feel different again, and they're already yep. feeling different, and they're already having problems. And when you're a child, what, the one thing you don't want to be is different. Yep, absolutely. You know? And there no, comes a point don't. when you don't mind it, but when you're little, it's it's not a good thing. Sorry, you no, want to say um, something? Well, yeah, I said we're all a product of our, our, our environment growing up, and you know, some evolve and grow past it. Um, I think a lot of us take it with us into the real world, and um, you know, it's always told, you know, you know, the dumb kid, the stupid one. Um, and thank God for my late father, because he saw something very special in me when it came to numbers when I was 14 years old. And uh, I slowly but surely became a young superstar in the business world as a teenager. And that was my way to say, screw you to everybody else, that I am somebody. But that also comes, that inferiority complex with a massive ego comes from that deep-rooted insecurity. So when I'm thinking I'm on top of the world and living this life and making all this money and now it's, oh, who's the dumb one out? Who's the idiot now? That's not a healthy mindset. That's a recipe for a disaster because then I got into the real world and, you know, uh, although everybody's looking at the outside and they're like, my God, what a, what a business. I mean, this is incredible. You're on all the big talk shows and, you know, with all these celebrities and uh, that you represent and work for, how did you, how, how'd you do it? Like, you know, I think in my own way, it gave me a drive to, to just go out and prove people wrong. And, and like I said, God bless my father, Martin Prince, uh, when he was alive, he was my biggest cheerleader and he just saw something very special uh, as a teenager that he pulled out me when I started my baseball card company. That's right, I was, I was thinking about that because I listened to the earlier interview we did and I read a bunch of articles today. And how old were you when you started your uh, baseball card business? How old were you? I, I, I was 14 and I was always a late bloomer with a woman as you call it, I made up for it later in life. It just wasn't, it wasn't something I was interested in. I mean, every, every kid wanted to date at 13, 14, 15, have all the illegal house parties with some beer and wine coolers. And, you know, when their parents weren't home and they would call me to come hang out and stop playing with your stupid baseball cards. But I had this imaginary business in my brain. And when all my friends thought they were corny and not popular anymore, I had three different jobs. I was squeezing orange juice at a supermarket called King's. I worked uh, in the stock room at a sneaker store called Mastro's. I uh, was a busboy at a restaurant called Don's in town in Livingston, New Jersey. And I took all that money that I was making. I'd buy a collection for 50 bucks, 30 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever it might be. And one day, a teacher of mine, Elliot Lovey, who who's hands down one of the biggest mentors um, from, from school, who are still close to this day, I was in an intro to business class in 1984, I was 14, and he challenged everybody to go home and create a business. Type it up on your typewriter. I think computers were just getting big back then. He goes, I want everybody to kind of put together a power up on your business. And as I'm sitting there, I'm envisioning this real business. I was like, I kind of have a business because I've got so much value in baseball cards and I typed it up and I even made a cheesy little business card on a piece of yellow paper. My dad was in the typesetting and design business and advertising. And I felt so good the next day walking in with this card and I named it Baseball Card City. And I actually won, I, I, I came up. So the validation that gave me 
for the first time to actually get an A in the in a class and, and get an A plus with what I created just just changed my life. It truly did. So I went home that night. I told my dad I need insurance on my baseball cards. Father's looking at me like I'm nuts. What do you mean insurance? I go, Dad, I probably need about eight or nine. I have a lot of money worth of baseball cards and. He's like, oh, he's like, sorry, but I'll, I'll call the homeowner. So I'll get you a thousand dollars worth of insurance. And I'm in my pajamas and I'm tugging on his shirt. I go, no, dad, eight or nine thousand dollars. And he's like, are you kidding me? Where did you get eight or nine thousand dollars with the cards? And I went upstairs. I come down with all these shoe boxes. Everything's per- perfectly organized, very like, a, you know, like OCD ish type of mode. And with, with price labels on them, and I had a, a price guide, and I told him how I got them all. And he's like, but who buys them? And I go, it's funny you should ask. So I pull out this magazine, which was like the stock market of the baseball card industry back then, called CCP, Current Card Price Guide. And I used to pay a FedEx fee to get it early because it legitimately was like getting the Wall Street Journal every day. And I would see what I had and what the value was. And he's like, Darren, it's interesting they're worth this much, but who buys them? Like, what can you do to start actually selling them? Pulled out a newspaper at this big. I said, Dad, again, funny you should ask. There's a card show down the road at the Holiday Inn. And what that is, is I can rent a table for $25 for the day. It's eight feet. And I could display my cards. I could buy, sell, and trade. And I think it's going to be really exciting and it's going to be really profitable. So my friend, Steve Simon, who actually runs my agency to this day, he's the vice president. We go back since we were 10. We decided to split the big investment together. He got four feet, I got four feet. And I spent every night for two weeks after school doing no homework, but just having tunnel vision on the most perfect display. I storyboarded. I put these beautiful cases and holders and typesetted professionally looking signs and Steve probably spent the night before and just threw some stuff in a box uh, because he just did it for fun and that was a big family affair that day and I woke up at five in the morning I couldn't sleep and I remember I I just said to myself something is going to happen for me really big today I'm going to prove to the world that Darren Prince is somebody and my dad came my grandmother came my sister came my mom is there I made over two thousand dollars on that Sunday afternoon Wow. And uh, yeah, it was, it was just incredible. My life changed in that room because, you know, I wasn't high. I wasn't on drugs, but I, it was euphoric. And I was this young hotshot kid that knew so much about cards and batting averages and who's hitting the most home runs and the most wins and the best pitchers. And I felt like people needed me. I felt like like I was the one in that room for those five or six hours. I was the popular kid. I was the smart kid. I was the one that everybody wanted to hang around. And um, the interesting thing is when I got back to my house later that night, I put my cards away and I had a big envelope full of cash. And um, I sat down on my bed and I felt like that loser again pretty quickly in the back of school. I felt like that kid, the feeling went off, like went away within an hour or two. I needed more of it. I just needed that adrenaline rush. I needed that acceptance, that validation that I was somebody. And eventually that's when drugs came into play because it felt that boy when I was in that baseball purchase. Wow. So successful at the, at the baseball card. I was going to ask you. And then, because that, that thing, when you were thing, I'm sorry, that experience when you were selling the baseball cards, that was after the, the camp, right? Where you yes. had the liquid Demerol. Yes. No. So you did find another way to experience that kind of high, but it, it didn't last. It didn't, it did not last. And I mean, okay. my, 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 that business was absolutely incredible for me because I was the first person literally 
in town that had a cell phone when I was 15. I had a bike because I started now dealing with very successful stockbrokers that would read my ads and the biggest publication every week. And in between class, I'd go get my cell phone and be in my locker. And you would just think with all this success and all these prominent people calling me that, you know, that would have made me feel good. I did, but just in that moment, because I was always looking for an outside fix. That was really an inside job that, you know, chased me almost to death when I was 38 years old. Right. And, you know, we say a lot on the podcast that drugs are a solution to a problem. And even though you were very, very successful, as you said, when you were, when you got home and you're looking at the envelope of money, there's still the underlying, you know, insecurity or self-invalidation. It's still, it's still there. Still there. Yeah. 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 Okay. So what drugs did you turn to at that point? So, I mean, because I had money and I was able to become the life of the party around 16, 17, junior, senior in high school, you know, I started smoking a lot of weed. I, you know, dabbled in cocaine, ecstasy, I, whatever it was, more or less, you name it, I did it. And uh, Percocets and obviously opiates were my drug of choice, my first love. And, um, there was no legal repercussions. I was really on top of the world. I mean, I smoked weed first thing in the morning and my thought process was going. I, I, I mean, I was so uh, fascinated by Walt Disney who created Disney World high on LSD. And I thought I was gonna do that in the baseball card business. And my dad knew that I was partying a little bit too much. And he would always tell me, you're not getting your creativity from that. You've got the creativity. He goes, you're just so unhappy with yourself because you're doing this too much. And one day, hopefully you realize it before it's too late. You know, and that took me until I was 38 to realize everything he was saying was the truth. But 21 years old, it all came crashing down because I got arrested four times in six months with drug possession, not for distribution, uh, obviously it was for personal use and to give out to my friends because I wanted the acceptance of everybody um, to hang around me. And um, I was put into a, a drug treatment uh, outpatient program for a year and, uh, within a week to go, I got notified that I was good to go. The judge was, you know, basically removing the probation period. So I was pumped. What do you do? I called my friend Dave and I said, Hey man, let's go to the city and celebrate. And, you know, we had these mind erasure shots and on the way into the city, we took a handful of Xanax and, you know, our minds were clearly erased between the beers and the, and the mind erasure shots. And next thing I know, I wake up in a hospital and, Dave fell asleep behind the wheel heading back from New York City. His car went into a ditch. My face went into the windshield. I had 90 stitches, a concussion. I was a mess. And, um, you know, to open my eyes in the ICU and the first two people I see are my mom and my dad who know that they can't help their baby boy and see the look on their face and the tears that he's got all this success. He just got done with this program five days ago. And now look at him. Um, and not thinking I had a problem, not thinking I had a problem. Right. Right. Wow. What a heartbreak for your mom and dad. I can only yeah. having two boys, I can only imagine what that would be like. And you didn't, that wasn't your wake up call, was it? No, no, it wasn't because it was bad timing with the police. I shouldn't have been caught, you know, you know, Dave shouldn't have been driving, you know, I, it, it just every excuse in the world. And, um, you know, there was no more legal problems related to, to drugs or alcohol or substances. But, you know, then I just took the business from 
the baseball cards to autograph signings with athletes and celebrities. And then I sold both those companies um, in different years. And I started the agency Prince Marketing Group with Magic Johnson as my first client. And now I think I have it all together. I'm 24 years old, the most beautiful woman, all the success, everybody wants my life, all that ego, 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 which comes from that brokenness that I never addressed. And um, every guy wanted to be me, but the girls wanted to be with me. It was the, the best parties, the private jets, the Super Bowls, MTV awards, everything people watch on TV. And I got thrown into the front of the industry and uh, I'm st I start believing everything I'm reading. Super agent Darren Prince. And, you know, for Magic, uh, who was my biggest mentor as a client, I, I got Pamela Anderson, Chevy Chase, Dennis Rodman, Smoking Joe Frazier, Muhammad Ali, who I had a previous relationship with, Evil Knievel, so many of them. And um, again, I'm thinking I'm the super one. And my dad always had a humble me because the reason they call you that, Darren, is because magic is so revered and so beloved. Always forget, always remember that. Because to be honest with you, anybody can make this guy money. He trusts you. He knows you're a hard worker. He's close to our family or close to his family. Remember that. And I heard it. But again, I don't think until I found recovery did I ever believe it. How did your families get close to each other? Um, my my. My parents were always so big on um, spending time with my celebrity clients. So, oh. it, it, yeah, it was so important. If one of them were in town, they would always run into New York City to say, I'm have lunch, even if, you know, cause, you know, obviously so many of them are so incredibly famous. It's hard to sometimes get them out of a hotel room and have a peaceful lunch or dinner without them being buyer by 50 or 100 people. So, you know, they, they all loved them. I mean, Smoking Joe was uh, a second father to me, a little brother to my dad. Um, you know, my, my one and only time I got married, you know, Magic flew in with Cookie and, um, you know, Joe Frazier was there, Dennis Rahman. It was a pretty amazing event. And, you know, Dennis would call my dad from North Korea a couple of times when he was alive. I mean, just to tell him, you know, that he's doing good out there. And uh, my dad's uh, 80th birthday was a year before he passed. I literally I remember I had Hulk Hogan, Magic, and Dennis all call him at his surprise birthday party. And, you know, it just means a lot because we get we get the privilege and the honor of knowing the real them. You know, it's not about, you know, their global fame and what they've meant to the world. It's what they've meant to us and the Prince family, and especially me, how, how so many of them have given me the ability to change my life and take care of so many people. Uh, because of the success we've had at Prince Marketing Group. Wow. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com, or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or Call us at 727-314-7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. For more information on our sponsor, Narconon Ojai, visit their website at narcononojai.org. That's N-A-R-C-O-N-O-N-O-J-A-I.org or call 1-866-231-5924. That's 1-866-231-5924. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, 
a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. I think that um, this is obviously not a, a podcast about your marketing group, but I think probably from what you're telling me, one of the reasons that you are as successful as you are is because you have a personal relationship with these people. They're not just clients. They're not just right. money, you know, paychecks. Yep. They're not. Yep. Yeah. And I think that that, that makes a huge difference in any business, but I can see it with your family and what a great story about your dad's 80th. That's very cool. Yeah. But but I'll, I'll tell you if that, that, that there is a correlation with the business to my addiction because I've always had this obsessive psychotic drive, always. When things get tough in business, I always find my way out. We reinvented the company with another company from Digital Group during this uh, pandemic, so I have an additional extension. And that's still very parallel to the way I use drugs, you know? Get what I want when I want it, have to have it when I have to have it. Now I've just found in recovery healthier ways to just have that drive and evolve and always do more and loving when adversity happens because Hulk Hogan and I spoke an hour ago and, you know, um, he's got some physical ailments and we, I say it all the time, you know, adversity reveals your character. So if you're out there struggling with drugs, alcohol, substances, doesn't matter what walk of life you come from or what success you have professionally or don't have, it's about understanding that the real power and the real uh, courage is asking for the help and just shift that crazy drive into something healthy. Once you get that foundation, once you surround yourself with people in recovery, that they have what you want and you work through the 12 steps and you become spiritual, you know, just put, put 100% into that. Blessings are going to happen when you're in recovery. Yep. There's nobody I don't know whose life got worse. And and it how might not you... immediately get better, but we get better. You know what I'm saying? Our thought yeah, process yeah, yeah. gets better. But why did you get clean? I mean, why come off drugs? You're super successful. You have all of these clients. Why, you know, you've got some kind of a successful thing going. What was it that made you go, oh, I do have a problem. I do need to handle this. Well, I had an overdose and then in Las Vegas, but it, it was even more than that. I think at one point what was once living to use turned out to using to live. My superpowers were wearing off, whether it was Oxy's, Vicodin, Percocet, snorting them, chewing on them like bubble gum, uh, Ambien at night, sniffing before I went to bed. I mean, the behavior was just so psychotic and animalistic to the point where every once in a while I would think, I literally just got off the phone with Chevy Chase or whoever it might have been, you know, smoking Joe Frazier or Carmen Electra. And I'm like, Pamela Anderson, I was like, I'm getting off the phone with them. And instead of celebrating whatever call we're talking about, about a business deal, I'm running to the pill bottle. And it's all because I never felt worthy of it. You know, I, I just, it was, the, it was the only escape that I knew. But then when the, when those superpowers were wearing off and I was in a, deep depression and, and thoughts of suicide and not wanting to wake up in the morning. And on top of it, I'm on 
uh, you know, at one point they put me on the opiate blocker Suboxone. I'm snorting Ambien before I go to bed at night. I'm freaking drinking a couple of days a week just to numb myself. I'm on an antidepressant, a mood stabilizer, anxiety medications. I'm like, this is insane. Like, you know, what's wrong with me? And I wanted to get the help. I just didn't really know the next steps until my first God moment happened on July 1st of 2008. And that was when my uncle, who was in the 12-step fellowship with his then girlfriend, came to visit my mom. They were from Miami, and they were in New Jersey, and they paid me a surprise visit. And it was like any other miserable day for me. I had no plans whatsoever. I talked about going to a spa, detoxing at a nice hotel, all these ideas, because I'm the big super agent. I'm the big uh, important guy that can't go to a rehab for 30 days. And... Um, they just walked in. She never met me before. She said, are you okay? And I just felt something with her. And I said, I'm not. And she goes, what's wrong? And I told her. And she goes, wow. She goes, do you realize that you're an addict and your life's become unmanageable? I said, yeah. And she goes, do you realize you're powerless? I said, 100% I'm powerless. She goes, the most importantly, do you realize that it doesn't matter if you're from Yeller Jail or Park Avenue or Park Bench, that addiction does not discriminate? I said, 100%. She goes, because this outside stuff means nothing if you don't mean anything. She goes, are you willing to get the help? I said, I'll do whatever it takes. And um, she put me on a 36-hour detox that I don't recommend. And uh, it was the night of July 2nd, 2008. And um, I'm in New York City. I was living at the Caroline building with my then wife. And I come up from working out. I'm shaking. I'm nauseous. The stomach problems. I'm out of my mind. I call them up. I said, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to call the doctor and get what I really need to get. And they both start yelling, this is the goddamn disease talking. It's time you put your friggin' ego aside. You go online, you're in New York City, find a 12-step meeting, head over there and put your hands up and tell these people what's going on. I said, there's no friggin' way I've been to those dumb meetings. I can't identify with anybody. And I hung up the phone and I ran in the bathroom and I was looking for these non-narcotic anxiety pills that she allowed me to take um, to, to help with the cravings. And out came two extra cent Vicodin. And, you know, Simone, my ex-wife and I, we, we, we swear we cleaned out all the medicine cabinets. And the fact that they were there in that moment seemed like a gift. It was, wow, oh, thank God, exactly what I needed. And then something came over me because I fell to my knees for the first time in my life. And I surrendered. I, I, I basically, I shut my eyes. I held my hands out. I remember calling out to God and screaming, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to kill myself. I need your help. And she was in the living room hysterically crying because I locked myself in the bathroom. And it was me and him in the bathroom at that moment because I stood up and it wasn't me. It was the only time I ever had this feeling in my life. And my right shoulder was on fire. And I heard a voice say, I've got you when you're ready. So in this hand, I had the Percocets, uh, the Vicodins, and I flushed them. And I felt this huge relief. And I go into the living room, I go on the computer, and I type in you know, AA and A meetings. And I found one in the upper 80s, and there was no Uber back then. There was only taxis in 2008. I jump in the cab, and she's with me. And I'm looking up at the sky on a beautiful summer night and I'm telling myself, oh my God, for the first time in my life, I wanted to stay sober more than I wanted to get high. And um, I walked into that church basement with about 150 
200 addicts and alcoholics that were all once of a hopeless state of mind. And I heard the leader say, is anybody new struggling or coming back? And again, it wasn't one of those moments. It was like God lifted my arm. And um, I said, I'm sick, I'm suffering, I'm suicidal. I've got 36 hours clean. I just flushed the last of my substances and, and I need your guys' help. And um, I realized then that it's an ego crushing fellowship. And those who keep it crushed and keep it checked at the door have the best chance of making it. And I had about 10 or 12 spiritual brothers and sisters come right over to me, were hugging me, telling me, you got this. It's easier to stay here than it is to come back, stick with the winners, learn one thing, take the cotton out of your ears, put it in your mouth and listen, because you don't know anything. And we can help you one day at a time. And um, I just dove right in. I heard things that night that, you know, I would have thought there was rainbows all over the church because there was so <laughs> much that I can identify with. And, you know, I, I just remember sitting there like yesterday and it was just, I didn't want to leave. I wanted to take this all in because it felt like there was so much poison, you know, literally leaving my body and it was being replaced with like a whole new soul. And um, I just became obsessed. I heard 90 meetings in 90 days. I did it. I found a sponsor. I was doing a reverse commute back to New Jersey, Steve Bellabau, who is my spiritual big brother. He's got 32 years. And you know, he said at the first few conversations we had on the phone, he goes, you've got a damn ego the size of New Jersey. And that's mm -hmm. what we need to work on. He goes, because you know what you are? He goes, you're a high-class degenerate drug addict. That's what you are. He goes, that happened to be successful. And he goes, and why don't you speak to, he starts naming different celebrities and every one of them I noticed aren't here anymore. He goes, so you ain't crap, remember that? He goes, you're a human being that has lived this life and it's caught up to you. And thank God you were given the gift of desperation. And now one day at a time, it's up to you to get the power of choice back in your life. Because once you get the power of choice back, hope and recovery will begin. And that's when it started. Wow. Wow. The power of choice. It's interesting you say that because when, um, you know, we've said many times on the, this podcast, I'm not an expert. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a doctor, but what I know about addicts, the ones I've talked to is there's nothing wrong with them. They're not bad people. They make bad choices. And that's, no. that's what you're talking about. The power of choice. You, you have no. that split second when you can choose to go one way or the other. And that's your choice. Yeah. So you still have your business. You still have your very, very successful marketing business. You still have these A-list clients and you've written a book mm -hmm. about your experiences and before I before I continue with that, I just want to say that means you're 12 years sober and very, very, very well done. I know it's not it's not the easiest thing to get sober and you're still here and you're still sober and very well done. And as you said, there are those who aren't. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah, there's nothing in my life that's more important than this. Nothing comes before recovery. I could lose the business tomorrow and finding myself on the inside and, and actually loving myself with no ego because I know the type of person I am. I know the authenticity. I know the realness. I know the kindness. A lot of that came from my dad. Um, 
most people aren't like that, especially in this city in LA, where 99% of people are so full of crap. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a minority. I, I, I meet people every day in recovery, in business that just tell me, you know, I'm not used to this or, you know, I, I just, I'd rather lay all my cards on the table. I've nothing to hide. You know, it just, well, it's a liberating free feeling and it allows me then to connect with people because the most important thing on this journey is to give back and help other people to get those lights to come on in their eyes like I had on July 2nd, 2008. And I think that's huge. I cannot thank you enough for being willing to share because I know that there are others out there who, because of their standing, because maybe of their ego, because of where they're at, they don't want to admit it broadly that they've had a problem or they have a problem. And I, you are, you're, you could be that way. You're in a position where you could be that way and not want to tell your story. And the fact that you do, I think is huge. And you wrote about it in a book. Yeah. Aiming high. Yeah. How did that come about? Um, my, when my dad was alive, uh, probably well, most of 2016, he kept it telling me, I think it's time to write a book about the business and the success and his crowning achievement with me. Sorry, I got a little bit of allergies was, um, was, uh, seeing me get sober for sure. As much as he was proud about business and we, uh, you know, we discussed it. I said, dad, you know, I don't think it's the right time. You know, I, I take so many of the stories to the grave with me, with my clients. They trust me. He's like, well, maybe you could just share in a general way because I think you'll inspire a lot of kids that, you know, have learning disabilities or might not be ready for college or school. And uh, I was like, ah, you know, I'll think about it. And it kept coming up. Hulk Hogan mentioned it one time to me at an appearance we had in Houston. And he's like, brother, he goes, there would be a bestseller. And uh, again, didn't really put much thought into it. And then when he passed away, within a couple of months, sponsor Steve uh, calls me up and said, Turning Point Rehab, the largest rehab in New Jersey, wants to honor me for all the work that I've done at their annual gal and give me the first annual hope and recovery word. Am I okay speaking in front of 800 people? Never spoke in front of 800 people, knew nothing about it. And I, um, I wound up hiring an amazing speech coach. Uh, Jeffrey Davis at a New York City that changed my life and, and, and taught me how to control your emotions. And when you're in that moment, that is the one time in your life where you're supposed to stay in that moment because you have a gift from God. And, and if you're just there and present, you now have the ability to truly save a life. And as much as I love speaking in recovery meetings and recovery podcasts, there's nothing in the world like speaking to a general group of people because I know that some God-given words out of my mouth to somebody that never wanted to admit they have a problem is going to try to cross over to the other side because of some words that came out of my mouth. So I agreed to do it. Uh, the speech went off flawless, like, you know, standing ovation. I felt so good about it, the people coming over. I felt good about myself to get up there and talk about it. And that was the beginning because two days later, Dr. Oz called Turning Point and said, one of my producers, because I've got some clients on a show, follows Darren Prince and we're mesmerized with his speak. We'd love to have him on as a guest. So I came on. And then about a week after that, um, I used to do business with the now President Trump when he was Donald Trump uh, from Celebrity Apprentice. A lot of my clients were on there. I got a call from his assistant that's been with him forever 
that she saw my speech. She was so absolutely moved and it was so passionate. And would I be interested in speaking to the Trump administration about helping them at this opiate crisis? I was like, this is unbelievable. <laughs> and then I'm on Instagram about a week or two later before I was heading to Australia with my ex-fiance. I know ex-wife, ex-fiance, <laughs> but my ex-fiance and I are super close. Pr Priscilla, she's amazing. So um, I, uh, I'm on Instagram and I, I told Priscilla, I go, look, I just met this publisher and recovery advocate speaker. I want to meet with her. She just did this TED talk with Tony Robbins on stage and, you know, how much we love Tony. And she goes, yeah, 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 meet with her. We'll, we'll just make a later flight. So I go to her office when I'm in West Hollywood, California. I meet with her. And as I'm telling her my story, Anna David, she says to me, your story is absolutely mesmerizing and your passion when you say it. She goes, you have ever thought about publishing a book? She goes, I have a publishing company. I'm just starting. And I'd love to publish your book. And she, I go, yeah, I have. And she goes, I've got the angle. You have to take people as they're flying the wall on this journey from the hell of addiction to the beauty of spiritual recovery and use your platform of who you are at the top of the sports and entertainment industry to get this message out there. We'll have not only a bestseller, more importantly, you will save and touch and inspire so many lives. And she said it, I remember I got tears in my eyes and I was crying a bit because, you know, it was, you know, whatever it was at that point, a little over a year since my dad passed. I thought, that's it. That's it. He put the book on my radar, but I needed to find the right way to package it. And, uh, you know, we signed the deal. And a few weeks later, after I got back from Australia, I'm in Miami. And the one thing I wanted to do, because I needed to put star power behind it to, to, to get the book out there, because I know as as many people as know Darren Prince, I'm a nobody compared to my clients. And I asked Magic to in person to write the forward. And he he said he absolutely be honored. And uh within three days, uh Anna David, Kristen McGinnis, the the writer that changed my life, uh that co-wrote it with me, we had no idea. We just wanted to become a bestseller. And um I started getting screenshots. I was doing Chris Cuomo and all the big talk shows. <laughs> that uh, it didn't just become an Amazon bestseller, it became an Amazon bestseller in four countries. And wow. um, the response was just unbelievable. And, you know, the two, it literally was two years, October 1st, the book came out, two wow. years, and it has not slowed down. And wow. for me, it's well not, yeah, yeah, for me, it's not even about the money. You know, people after this interview, just go to at agent underscore DP, um, send me your address. The big, beautiful hardcover books. We, I send, I'll send out two hundred copies, no charge. I didn't even care. We cover shipping because it's a message, and it's given me such a blessing. Where now, you know, I, you know, I, I'm a, I, I get to work with banning treatment centers. They have fourteen different properties. I'm my own call center, eight 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 six Darren D A R R E N. If people can't afford treatment, they'll, they'll scholarship them. I mean, where would these gifts have come from? You know, I'm aligned with a company called the Lead Home Detox, which would have been perfect for somebody like me. Somebody that's got that ego, that doesn't want to go to a rehab. And these guys have the ability now in the privacy of their own home over a week to get the right nurses and doctors. And like, these are things I never would have known had I not gone sober. And, um, you know, I finally developed the self-esteem that I was lacking from doing esteemable acts. And 99% of that comes from recovery got nothing to do with the celebrity world because you know the agent life is what i do the recovery advocacy that's who i am that 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 that's me through and through and, and, and to finally find 
sense of self for that is the greatest accomplishment of my entire life. And I do everything I can to protect it, especially during this pandemic where so many people could be negative. And I actually created even a better version of myself. That's awesome. I, it's just amazing. Just one last thing. You have a foundation. What does the foundation do? So the Aiming High Foundation, which I started uh, at the end of last year, we provide you know, financial support for people that need treatment, detox, mental health, wellness. And um, it's, a, it's another blessing because how would I have ever thought about something like that? And I've got the ability, again, for my clients to you know, to host events and we haven't done anything obviously since COVID and to do fundraisers and charitable auctions. And I wanted to be in a position where I'm at an, in an audience speaking to a group. I did 57 speeches last year. And wow. when you have that Q&A, that's when that Q&A is when the magic happens. And I know there's people that have mentioned they, they can't afford it. And I want to be like Darren Oprah Winfrey, where I could put my hand up and say, young man or young woman, come over here because... I need you to get your suitcase packed or get your bag ready because in my foundation, we're going to put you on a plan and send you to Banning, Turning Point, whatever the treatment center might be, to get you the help that you need so you can get the life that you deserve. That's wow. just, you know, greatest feeling in the world to be able to do that. Because wow. I've been given a gift, you know, I've been given a gift. You know, I, I've, I've found my soul on this journey. You know, I've found my purpose in life. And... and Prince Mark was never that purpose. That, that, that's a job. That's a career. You know, this is my purpose. Yep. Wow. That's, that's amazing. That's such an amazing story. Darren, I can't thank you enough for sharing your story with us. I know that, you know, there are people who are going to listen to this podcast. They're going to watch this video and it's going to resonate with them. A lot of them, I think. And I can't yep. thank you enough for being willing to do it. Well, thanks for having me again. Absolutely. So excited to have Darren Prince on our podcast again. His story of addiction, but mostly his story of recovery is such a spiritual one and such an amazing one. And anybody listening or watching can achieve that level of spirituality, recovery, and sobriety. You can do it. And there are so many resources available to you for help. If you have a loved one who's addicted and you don't know how to get them into treatment, one of our sponsors or one of our advertisers is Bobby Newman. He's an interventionist. You can reach out to our sponsor, Narcanon Ojai, no commitment. They'll help you. They'll just answer your questions and help you. Their number is 866-231-5924. Or there's Learn to Cope, learntocope.org. If you can't figure out what you should do, just do something and take heart from Darren's story, okay? If, if he can come to the awareness that he came to and where he's at now, you can too. Your loved one can too. Reach out for help. Now is the time. Don't wait until after the holidays. Don't wait for anything. Do it now. We will talk to you again next week. And thank you so much for being with us. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast. Point of No Return. Sponsored by Narknan Ohai. 
For more information on Narcanon Ojai, call 866-231-5924 or visit www.narcanonojai.org. Narcanon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.